Hi, this is Aldo Nova. You're listening to Sonic Perspectives. Aldo, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. I really appreciate it. I've been a big fan of yours for quite some time. Thank you. Thank you very much. So you have two CDs coming out. You got uh, in April. The first one is due out April 1st. It's called The Life and Times of Eddie Gage, which features 10 songs from a 25-song rock opera. And the other CD is Aldo Nova 2.0 Reloaded, which is coming out April 19th. And it's nine of your classic songs reimagined. So right. let's start in release order and talk about the life and times of Eddie Cage. Um, Gage, excuse me, um, which is autobiograph autobiographical in it's nature. Pretty much, it's pretty much autobiographical. I mean, it's you know, it's like the dates all coincide, and it's pretty much my my history and my business with my history in the in the music business, how it went about, and how I got signed, and then you know how. Uh, the way the record companies took advantage of me, the lawyers, the managers, et cetera. Then, you know, then at a certain point, you just get discouraged and you go down that then you reach, reach redemption. You know, yeah. I mean, the, the lifetime of Eddie Gage goes from 21 to 65. It's not like a two year period. It's a whole lifetime, you know, but it's just, it's the beginning of a lifetime. So I think the CD is fantastic. I, I thought, it, I, I thought it was fantastic to hear you again. It was, I missed your, your CDs and your music for so long. You've been gone way, way too long. What would you think of it? I really liked it. I loved it, actually. I have a lot of favorites. I have some questions, too, about some specific songs. Okay. I really did. I guess my first question was, um, you're only sharing 10 of the 25 songs. So do you feel that these 10 properly portrayed and conveyed the story? They don't. They, they can't give you the full story, but what they do convey is that's why I picked those 10 songs is because it, give you, it gives you the notion that you understand that it is a rock opera and that it's not just a regular record. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the thing about it. I mean, you have, you go all the way from like the super hard rock, a la daddy to, to uh, Free Your Mind, which is like a, a Eddie Gage in concert, then it's the ballad, then it's like the King of Deceit, which is like 40 piece orchestra and one voice, and super heavy metal instrumentals, like, you know, looking yeah. to the second word. You can tell how the story is going on. You know, it's not just a regular uh, 10 cumulative songs, but the thing that it, it stands as a whole, but you can take each little piece of it and it stands on, on uh, like, you, sorry about that. I should disconnect. No worries. It's my, my friend from Australia. <laughs> it's actually you know, I, I thought the songs all stood on their own and they all worked well together as a comprehensive the rock opera so I thought it was really really well done and I was wondering those 15 other songs are they more like um, orchestral moments perhaps that is in a rock opera sometimes between parts or scenes no it's all singing and music it's all it's all uh, it's all songs different songs that convey different things as a matter of fact I think in Every one of the songs, it's a completely different style of music. It could be R&B, it could be a hard rock, it could be a blues-oriented, all synth-type, uh, mm -hmm. uh, synth-based songs that are just like, you know, pop. Uh, every song is a different style because of, of the scene that it's in. But there okay. are no, it's not like Tommy, where there's like these little bits of people talking or singing. I didn't, I didn't want that, as a matter of fact. I just wanted something that the songs told the story. It's interesting because um, you don't really hear rock operas anymore. You mostly hear concept records or concept albums. What was the decision to call this a rock opera versus a concept? What's the difference in your mind? 
I guess a concept record would be something that has a recurring theme about it, or um, I don't know. It's just for me, it was when I started writing it in 2008, it, it automatically came with a, I want to write a rock opera, and the title already came mm -hmm. through the Life of Times of Eddie Gage. So that's a story being told. The concept album, I don't know, I think I always considered subject was a concept album, but it was just a collection of songs. But, it had a, a recurring theme in, in the song. You know, to tell you the truth, I wouldn't know. I, I don't really know. <laughs> Honestly, if you really want to be honest, I, I don't know. It's just, for me, it was always a rock opera. And That's I kept I was writing, and writing and read, you know, scrapping songs, putting songs in, adding songs. But I never pushed it. I never, I never, you know, people ask me, why did it take so long? It's because it, when I first started in 2008, I had the, the things, all the songs that I wrote in 2008, all eight of them appear on the final record. And people say, well, how come you didn't finish in 2010? Because I'm, I'm not the kind of guy who sit down at a piano and force myself to write. I've done that before. I spent years as a songwriter. I yeah. went from like, a successful artist to being a successful songwriter for other people, where you sit in a room and you sit with another guy or two other guys and you write a song. I let uh, the Life and Guys of Mitigation be completely inspiration. Like, you know, I, I would write a role in 2009, then I didn't write a song till 2013 and I didn't push it. Wow. Then I went from 2013 to 2014, 2017. In 2019, 2020 came quite a bit of the songs. And then November 11th, 2021, I wrote Les Anges which is the last final piece uh, right, of right. the puzzle. So at that point, Bob Ludwig had had enough. He goes, you got to stop. So you have to, you know, he says, you got to stop. I'm tired of mastering and reassembling this record. So <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, I read it, maybe it was from an interview or from articles on the internet that you're even considering do the, doing this as a play. And if that's the case, um, will you be taking... A part in the play, we and who would that part be? Would I be taking my part in the play? Would probably be like the not the director per se, but to like the musical director. Okay, you have to get people because, like I said, Eddie goes from from seventeen to then sixty five. So would I be a variety oh. of sort of heavy makeup? But uh, Eddie Gage was never. It was meant to be. People were interested in doing it, and they still are. But it was always meant for me to check it out on the road, like, you know, to go back on the road to come up with something uh, okay. that I wanted to, to, to tour with and be that would be great live for people uh, to see with, with the show. Much like Muse. Have you ever seen one of their concerts? Uh, no, no. Have you ever seen Muse? It's quite an, it's an experience. So I, I want to give, give people an experience. You know, it's okay. a really, like, you know, a great light show, a great uh, story. Uh, I don't know, but... I want to do that, and I also want to rock, which comes back to Reloaded, which is like just straight yeah. out, falls out, you know, you know, stripped down, bared down music. But Eddie, and it, like I said, each I'm a storyteller, so each song tells a little story and a character, so you can pull them all out like that. You should come out at the you should come out at the end and be the final Eddie, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I should yeah. By the time it gets done, I'll be 95. <laughs> and, and I'll still look like this. That's <laughs> well, you look great. So that's what that's what matters the most. Um, the story talks about redemption, spiritual awakening, perhaps. 
Um, are you a spiritual person? Have you changed over the years? Maybe if this is autobiography, you know, bio, you know biographical. Uh, have I changed? Uh, I think I've always, well, I was born Catholic, baptized, all that stuff. And of course, I, and I only know one prayer, I see our father. So I, I think I've said that like forever and ever and ever and ever. And then at a certain point in my life, because of the emotional, not emotional problems, because of a really bad marriage and a relationship and everything was going wrong and everything was gone, going wrong. At a certain point, I had to give up and just say, you know, Jesus saved me. I got on my knees. And it's not that I'm born again. I was always like, always there. But mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's just something that's there. I believe in something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, believe, because believing in something gives you the ability to believe in yourself. So I really believe in myself. If you believe in some people that believe in nothing, then I suggest they're right. I, I believe in something. Whatever it is, it's got a name. They call it God. They call it whatever they want to call it. It doesn't matter. To me, it gives me faith in myself. That's all. It makes me stronger. That's a great response. Yeah. I was born Catholic. Still go to church every Sunday. I actually, yeah, when I was I, younger, I played uh, I played in the church uh, folk group, you know, guitar, because I, I had nothing I, uh, to do. I like the um, <clears throat> group thing. Like, you know, uh, what I like about the church, especially the little church that, that I used to go at in town, that very small church, but they, that that part of the, where they, you know, turn around and shake your neighbor's hand, stuff like that. It was like, you just, you know, hi, hi, how's it going? Shake your hand. I really enjoy the the, com the communal part of it. You know, people get together and do one thing, you know, so no, it's, it's like, a, it's like a small version rock, rock concert <laughs> with, with like the biggest icon in the, in right, the right. universe, you know what I mean? There's, no, nobody, there's nobody that's ever going to touch that kind of icon, like the universal mass, you know, people want to be rock stars, but I mean, there's one huge rock star. So That's true. That's true. You know, I started doing the folk group at church because I was having issues at work. I was getting nervous making presentations. So I said, what better way to get over my stage fright or my nervousness by going out and playing in front of 500, 600 people every Saturday night? And that did the trick. And, you know, I feel more confident now when I have to make a presentation at work. So no I, what this is. I have no problem. It's like once I get on the actual stage, I have no problem. But at the beginning, no matter through all the areas of my life, it's a matter what tours and what, whether I was 24, whether I was 1991 during my last tour, uh, Blood on the Bricks, you, you know, all the guys were fired up. You know, it's like, oh, let's go kill them. And I'm the kind of guy that goes like, Oh, I want to kill myself. And then the lights go on and I just like, and then it's just like explodes. But before the show, I'm like, I don't, oh shit, I want to kill myself. And then everything's goes up and you got guys <laughs> like Felix going, oh, I want to kill him. Everybody's going out and I don't know. It's just that, that thing, you know, like. It switches, it's like a light switch for you. Yeah, it's a light switch. It's fun. Yeah. You get the right people, entertain them. Very cool. Yeah. Um, you touched upon this earlier um, about your influences by R&B. Um, I love the single, Free Your Mind. It has a Motown, Motown vibe, R, you know, R&B, particularly in the chorus. Um, are you you're a big fan of that? And am I correct with my assess, assessment that that's kind of accurate? Uh, yeah, I love, I love everything. I mean, I, I started playing at clubs when I was 16 years old. And mm -hmm. 16 years old, when you're playing in clubs, I play four nights a week. Uh, four sets a night of 45 minute sets. And whatever the band that got the most work was the band that sounded the most like the record. So, you know, each week or you'd have to hear, learn two new songs with like the new four, the new singles. 
So I sort of got used to imitating the voices and the styles and things like that. So over the years, my my musical palette is like it's like wide. I mean, you know, it's just like it's over the years. I've you know I've played everything. I've done. I was in Beatlemania for four years. Wow. I've, I've dressed up as George Harrison for a while. Oh, wow. Yeah, but that was interesting because I'd play like two, it wasn't just like you know, we we go out and we have a review. So one review was like one two sets of night was disco all dressed in silk and whatever the kids. <laughs> so I sang those and you had all the girls like you know flocking. I was 22 years old. And then the second the third part of the show was you dress up as like a Shana now with the costumes and I wore yeah. silly glasses. So then the, the interest of the girls started to wane. And by the time I put on the Beatle wig, it was over. They didn't want to know anything about me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Completely over. You know, so, yeah, so my, like I said, my palette is like so wide. And that's why my Vietti gaze is so wide because yes. I took all, all my influences and it's like a, a big Italian soup. It's like I'm in a story. You take all these things, you put them together and you make yeah. One great soup out of it, you know. So that's what I did. I took everything, and uh, you know, I made one one style, which is like I made my own unique style. That's and great. It's, it is a diverse CD, you know. It really, truly is very diverse. Every song has a different vibe to it. Yeah. Well, and I really like "Say a Little Prayer." Uh, it's a moving song. It works, like I mentioned earlier. Well, it works well in the rock opera, and it works well just as a standalone single. Um, you know, it talks about hope and redemption. Tell me about its creation and its place within the rock opera. Uh, Say a Little Prayer is song 23 on the rock opera. It's just before the end. It's, uh, um, at a certain point, uh, like I said, Eddie starts at 17, gets discovered. 23 signs a record contract. 24's album comes out, uh, keeps going. Uh, then he uh, hits a down point and he just goes into seclusion at a certain point. You know, after everything is a downfalls and pitfalls with the bad with the bad girl influences and starts doing dope and drink and um, he goes into seclusion and at a certain seclusion he's he we like I said he his, he comes back into touch with his faith and like he hears a voice that says you know go out and you know spread your message and and. Um, that's what it's about. It's about his redemption. His redemption comes afterward, Burn Like the Sun, which is also on the, the EP. That's when he really like comes into himself and you know everything comes full of full full uh, full force. Uh, and it's funny because that song was written on June 6, 1989, and recorded. Wow. And that's my demo. I mean, that that is a two-track. All I had was a two-track demo of that. Really? Luckily. Oh, luckily I had that song. That that song was strange about it is because I had forgotten I had written it completely. So one day I had Dats' DAT tapes. I don't know if yeah. you they're very they're very like unreliable. It's like it shatters on them. So while I still had them, it wasn't very labeled well. So I went to the studio and I was doing the transfers. So as I was doing the transfers, I'm not listening. I I yap a mile a minute talking with the guy and my wife is sitting in the back and she hears the song go by. And she goes, wow. And so she, and the guy had split the songs by one or one. She goes, what's that song? I said, what song? She goes, that one. She goes, Put, play it. She goes, play that. I said, oh yeah, that, I even forgot I wrote it. And I, I had wrote, I'd written in 1987, 
1987, I had a trauma with my voice. So I had one demo singer sing it. And then 88, I had another demo singer. So I kept arguing with you for two weeks. That's not me singing. That's not me singing. Because by some freak accident, the guy, when he transferred it, he transferred a half a tone lower. The song was an E minor, not an E minor. So my voice came down wow. until I had to admit that it, it was me. So that song was written in 2000, 1989, which is the beginning of, of where the first song I wrote. And it ended up being the final, the final song on the album, except for the Zonis, which came out there. That's so, wild. Yeah. And you wrote all the words too, not just the music back in 89? I wrote everything, yeah. Wow. Very prophetic in how it works within the, the opera too. It's incredible. Yeah. It went, I went from being like nowhere to being nowhere, but at least I had a meaning. <laughs> <laughs> at least I went, I went up somewhere in between, you know? So. <laughs> no, that's a road, great. It's still, it's still a, a long road ahead, but I mean, I'm, I'm happy. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. That's fantastic. You, and you have another album coming out. And it's funny because you call that an EP. But it's really 10 songs. And, you know, I think in my mind, an EP is four songs. So just for all the people listening, it's really 10 songs on this EP, I mean, you know? You know? Ten, 10 songs out of 25 songs. I mean, that's an EP because the album is like two and a half, <laughs> two hours and five minutes long. Right, right. It won't be more expensive than a regular record. That's the beauty of this because I own everything. I mean, it's in, yeah. another thing that was great about doing it again, just since, I mean, all my new projects now, I own them. It's like, Everything is paid for, even my videos, everything's paid out of pocket. So whatever scent I have, even if it's extra scent, I, I invest it in myself. And it gives me control. So if I want to do an album or sell it like for you know, like 13 bucks, I'll sell it, even if it's a two and a half hour album. It also gives me the chance to decide what artwork I want to do is whatever great artwork. Like Eddie Gage, uh, when I finally got the physical copies, I didn't think that the cover stood out enough. So I scrapped a thousand CDs and reprinted another thousand with a new cover. Wow. Which really looked like a rock opera. So that gave me that. And it also gave me the chance to put a 16 page booklet in it with like the most amazing liner notes. I don't know if you read the liner notes. I did, I read them. I mean, those are like old fashioned liner notes. I mean, yes. like really in detail, but these are really detailed. It's like, I use like that string and that, uh, that the pedals and the guitars, the yeah. Pedals, the guitars, and and uh, everything. It really goes in detail. My philosophy on life, and uh, so I have the the, the 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 capabilities of doing that, you know. So I don't. Uh, I, mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed reading it. I thought it was really nice. You don't you don't see that anymore, particularly now with you know all the downloading. You don't really get that. So I, I really I really enjoyed that from being a kid. You always engaged in that part. Yeah, what uh, what's funny because a lot of people want vinyl nowadays. It's like the biggest selling form. Yeah. So I, I can't wait to do a vinyl of Eddie Gage. Uh, I've already calculated with Bob Ludwig. It's, it's, it takes five five discs to put the whole record on there. Oh five, wow! Imagine a sleeve of five discs. So, so That's huge. Like, it's a great uh, it's a great project. It's like a box set, right? Yeah. Well, the box set is going to be actually. Uh, uh, the EP, uh, it's going to be like reloaded. It's going to have my album Nova's Dream, which mm -hmm. is my instrumental album, which I put out in 1997 that I managed to regain my masters back and the uh, rock opera. So that'll be in a, in a box with uh, 
um, having a USB key and on the USB key, there'll be um, all the liner notes and the photos and wow. everything. There'll be signed photos and- Oh, that's like great. That. Yeah, it's completely like uh, multi, uh, the videos will be on or everything will be on it, so. Oh, cool. I look forward to that. Um, talking now about 2.0 Reloaded, which is out April 19th. Um, the songs on a CD sound far, far more powerful and sonically better than the originals. What was the thinking behind redoing these classics? What? Um, wow. I've been, I've been hiding in my basement or just work. I, I'm a constant workaholic. Even now, I'm, I'm in the middle of like editing my second video because I spent all this money trying to do videos and then there was no film, there was nothing. So I ended up doing like the video to free your mind myself. And mm -hmm. I'm just kind of like the sun. I was doing, I was just working at home, constantly working. And then the COVID thing hit and people were starting to do COVID things at home. So I figured I, uh, me and my wife said, why don't we do something for COVID? It doesn't, you know, YouTube doesn't cost anything. So we went downstairs and she set up a cheap Canon camera and I really wasn't paying much attention that day. So I wasn't particularly trimmed. I looked like, a, she called me the walrus. I looked walrus, my hair was undone. Yeah. I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like today that I took a shower. It was like, wasn't expecting this at all. <laughs> and I did Paradise. And a lot of people got a lot of reaction. The biggest reaction though was like, oh my God, I didn't know it was still alive. Oh, you know, the, oh yeah, no, a lot of people say, she, when you stay away that long, and I mean, you, when I, when I disappear, it's completely, you can't find me on the internet, you can't yes. find me anywhere. I mean, completely off the grid. And so people were going, wow, I can't believe he's still alive. He's still good. He still looks good. So I kept doing more and more and more and reloaded. It's just those tracks, mm -hmm. uh, remix. That's, that's it. But I kept the tracks uh, with the same format. Like, they don't stretch too far out of the, where the original one, like fantasy is still fantasy, but it's yeah. powerful. I stripped it down to like nothing. Bass, drums, guitars, and one keyboard. And I had I got an amazing rhythm section, and we just go for it. It's like you know. yeah, I saw. I remember when that came out when on YouTube. I watched it. That was great. Yeah, it's a good stuff. Now, um, what was I going to say? With so many great songs in your catalog, how did you narrow down the selection, and what was the criteria that would go on this nine-song CD? I think whatever. When I decided to do Reload it, I just. I had all these songs and I talked to Missy at uh, my distributor and she said, you know, you should do something with them. And then I just got the idea to reload and I said, why not do it? And they were there, they sounded great. My performance yeah. was great. And they added something like, you know, like the, the solo section of Fool Yourself goes, goes as the dream theater. I mean, it just goes completely out there. Yeah. I don't know, the songs just had, just had muscle to them, they're turbocharged. I mean, so, so let's put them out. And then I said, well, okay, well, let me do something else that nobody's ever done. I'm going to put out three CDs, one's for all the songs, one is the songs with no lead vocals, and the other one is a song with no lead guitar. So it's right. a three disc thing. So you can learn the songs, you can karaoke to them because there's a booklet with that, and you can play solos. I'm, all, I'm always been one for individualism, for being unique. So if you have the chance to learn something, let's say out of out of a thousand people that buy the CD and jam along with it, if there's one guy that that develops a, you know a, a certain unique talent because of it, well, mission accomplished as far as that is concerned. And nobody's ever done it. You know what I mean? Nobody, yeah. nobody. There's no record company in the world that would allow that to release 
the record company, the actual tracks. So for me, yeah. I just, I mute the lead vocal, I mute the guitar and I'm done. No, it's a clever idea. Was there ever consideration of putting some old early demos of those songs on a CD? Yeah, oh God, I don't, the early demos back then, it was everything was tape. I mean, tape frazzled. And the my early demos that I did became my album. It wasn't as if I had demos and I went into the studio and re-recorded them. My early demos, my 24 tracks became my album. They just got uh -huh. remixed by Tony Bon Jovi. But that was my album, so they never. Those were my demos. Got it. So. Got it. No, that makes sense. My favorite song on the whole CD, of course, is "Monkey on Your Back." It's always been one of my favorite songs. It's got a killer groove. I have to wonder: Did that song start with the bass riff? Did you come up with the bass riff first for that? It's such, such a groove. Um, did I come up with the bass riff? I uh, I just I play I, I write everything on acoustic guitar or or piano because to me. If, a song doesn't hold up on either acoustic guitar or piano. That's not a good song. Mm -hmm. So I just started writing it. It had a good, it had a good groove, and I don't know. I didn't. Everything comes to me in a mass. Uh, I just yeah, it grooves. It sounds like it's got to sound sleazy. I mean, it's it not, the song is a sleazy song. It's about drug drug use and drug abuse, and you know, mm -hmm. a young a young junkie and a, a prostitute and all these guys and. A, a pimp and a monkey, which is a monkey on your back. And there's even a, there's a line there from John Prime. Uh, there's a hole in his arm where all the money goes. That's an old, you know, if you don't know, if you know yeah. John Prime, it's like, he's like, that's one of his old lines. I picked that up. Oh, so. That's fascinating. But, um, the reloaded, but the Reloaded is a lot funkier than the original one. Yeah, I thought so. It's got a lot more punch, like you said, too. It hits you. Um, you're talking about autobiographical. Was that song uh, autobiographical in any representation? What you were seeing in the 80s? Was it maybe you? Was it somebody you knew that was going through that? Because nobody really talked about, you know, heroin addiction back in the 80s, you know? Nobody talked about being, a, you know, anti-drug. I mean, it didn't exist back then. Right. My whole, uh, the way I write is completely first person. It's like experience. Mm -hmm. Fantasy was me going down. Uh, 42nd and Broadway back in the 80s. First time I'd ever been to New York in my life. And just, you know, described like the, the, the prostitutes and the lights and the neon lights. And this was when 42nd and Broadway didn't look like yeah. time. I mean, that was like sleazy, you know, go-go and sex girls and, and triple X everywhere. And uh, monkey on your back is just an observation on society at that point. You know, it's like in 1981, there's a lot on the bricks. It was about gang wars and nobody had written about gang wars. Yeah. It was about, you know, it was, it's just an observation on society or something I've experienced. If you walk down 42nd Street now, you wouldn't recognize it. It's Disney related and it's uh, it's a whole different world. I, I grew up with what you described earlier. So, and it's very different. Where, where are you from? New Jersey, uh, Central Jersey. Yeah. But I. So you must know Jack Frost. Everybody knows Jack. He's in I know band. Jack, yeah. I, yeah. I was going to ask you about him. I see him sometimes driving down down the road and he had a black Mustang at the time I saw him. I've seen him in record shops too. So yeah. Yeah, no, he, if you see my video or free your mind, uh, yeah, Jack's, yeah. In it, Jack's in it, uh, Dario Sexas is in it. Jack was a funny story because <clears throat> Jack, I had a guitar player, I had a band, but I hadn't been on the road, but I was thinking about going on the road. And I get an email uh, one day 
um, because on my, on my Facebook page, I have my, my uh, email. Mm -hmm. I got an email one day and he says, I've seen your video, uh, Survivor, which was a big production and I, I've got to play with you. And this was 12.30 on a Tuesday afternoon. And so, uh, okay, so I, I answer back. I said, well, I'm not really looking at the time. Three minutes later, I get another email. No, no, I really have to play with you. Send me some links. I said, can you send me some links? And here comes a page full of links like that. You know, sabotage, all these things. So I started looking him up and I look at the gig of John Bofar and then back and forth, back and forth. By 2.30, he had the gig. I never met him. And uh, this is the same thing with Dario. I was playing with Tim Gaines, the guy from Striper. Yeah. And Tim and I just says, uh, we're supposed to go on tour this summer or last summer. He says, listen, I can't do it. I've decided to spend my time with uh, with my family. Jack gives me the number of a guy called Dario Sexes. Called, called Dario. Talk to him. Great. You're in. Now we're going to shoot a, a video for your mind. $60,000 production out of my own pocket. Big wow. light show, big everything. I never met Jack. I never met Dario. And I had and I had no backup plan. The only guy that I knew in the band was Billy Carmasi, my drummer that I'd known for 40 years. They've been playing with me. And I had no backup plans. Like it's just not as if I've got, if they don't make it through, I've got some guys in the wings, I've got this guy there. If they don't make it through, I'm screwed. I mean, yeah. so they make it through, no problem. And we're like buddies right away. Me and Jack, we're like, you know, talking like that. The only guy that doesn't make it through is Carmasi. <laughs> he doesn't make it through. He brought the wrong passport to his, to the to the airport, and then he missed the seventy-two hour uh, uh, COVID test or something like oh. that. The guy who's now in my band, Angie. So it was uh, it's funny, but I never met Jack. I never met uh, Dara. We talked on the phone a lot. We just we did some Zoom stuff and just got along great. That's great. A great band. I interviewed Jack a while ago for Seven Witches, one, a band he was in a while ago. I don't know if, you know, still, but hell of a nice guy. And like I said, I met him at record stores and I saw him drive past me on 287 one day. So that was funny. I was looking over, I was like, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody knows Jack. I mean, yeah, like, everybody in New Jersey, right? He's a good friend of mine. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> um, Blood on the Bricks, great song and great album. I told you I got it right here. I was checking it out, reminding, I, I have it on my iPhone. Um, and I'm glad you included Modern World too. The CD was a collaborative effort with you and John Bon Jovi. What happened to that relationship with him and what happened to the label, Jamco, right? That's what I'm saying there, right? Yeah, Jamco. Uh, what happened to the label, I don't know. I mean, you know what I mean? He, it was only me and Billy Falcon on the label. I and mean, it was just like, it was a very boutique album. Yeah. Uh, very boutique label, I guess, you know, and as of 1991, I guess there was no, you know, as soon as the flannel shirts came in, you know, it's like when the flannel shirts came out, nobody wanted to do with anything that had hair above here, you know? Right. Everyone would want to wear a flannel shirt and listen to grunge music. The minute everybody heard Smells Like Teen Spirit, which is a killer song, that's what they wanted to do. So that was, you know, I figure I was just, I think I was in the caught in the same whiplash as every other band back then. You know, it's just mm -hmm. like you lost your niche, you did everything. I continued to work with John for uh, for years uh, after that, and then we just decided to you know just go our each our separate ways. And that's okay. it. 
That was a great collaboration. Some really killer songs on this CD. Really, really good stuff. Um, the funny thing is, I, I, I'm confident I saw you in 1991 in Long, playing in Long Island, uh, some bar called Industry. And I can't find any record of it on the internet, but I remember being there with a buddy of mine going to see you because we loved the band and the CD. And you didn't come on to like super late, like 11 o'clock. Do I have that right? I mean, do you remember playing Long Island? It was out by the water. Any recollection of that? I think I do, as a matter of fact. And it was the night before we played Florida. I think it was something. And there was like, I think my, my keyboard player was getting, it was his birthday and somebody toasted, uh, threw water on his keyboard. I'm not sure. It was that, that, that was, um, I think that was the beginning of the, that was about the, the why, big reason why Jan called the stores, because we were going around doing dollar shows. We toured all over the country and we played basically for free for a dollar. Yeah. I mean, that was all coming out of tour support. You know what I mean? But that was just coming out of Polygram that gave it to John that gave it to us. But so uh, to tell you the truth, 91 is a lot far, a long time. Right 33 years away. I don't know how far that is. <laughs> but I do remember, I, I'm confident I was there to see you and my buddy and I, we went to see you and uh, it was a good show, but it was super late. We got there super early because driving to Long Island from New Jersey and you guys didn't come on until super late. And we're like, oh my God, we, now we have to drive all the way home. We, um, I doubt it. We used to go on like clockwork. I mean, you know, really? if you saw me back, if you saw me back then, it was, uh, with Phil X was in the band back then. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, right? and I have the question: Do you still have the uh, leopard tights from fan the fantasy video? No, actually, they went one. The top went to one groupie, and the other one went to another groupie somewhere. <laughs> no, they just they got lost along the way. They sort of just shattered. I mean, you know, when you have, you're on the road back then, you don't have any wardrobe, uh, taking care of yourself. So eventually, the you carry them, and there's no. But he's, you know, you don't wash them at a certain point. Then you do wash them; they disintegrate because the, <laughs> the, the 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 woman that designed that that uh, that suit uh, designed costumes for strippers. So I said, okay, we'll design me a costume in leopard leopard motif. So she made me that, and uh, that's about it. And that's how I came out with that. No, the record company did not know I was going to step out of a helicopter wearing that suit. They were expecting something else. But I'm yeah. glad I did it. I'm known as the guy with the leopard print suit with like lasers down the guitar. That's when, yeah. that's, that's when MTV was fun though. I mean, you know. Yeah, that was the very beginning of MTV. I remember that when I was a kid. Yeah. Hearing that was, song. Yeah, that was like, I think the third song they played, but it was yeah. great. Back then it was fun because you used to have to sit to a certain hour or whatever and watch the TV and to wait till your favorite video come on and then you get into rotation. So they play four times, five times a day. And that was the whole thing. That was new. People were actually coming out, you know, it's like fantasy's actually got a prelude, you know, before it's got, before the song starts, it's got a little story. Yeah. You know, it was so, fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Amazing. Having, I was, I, like I said in my, in my book, it was fun having complete creative control even back then, like I said, but. You know, they, they control the, where the money went, so. it's oh, a great story. Um, on your Facebook, you hinted a tour. Um, will we see that anytime soon? Uh, <clears throat> the tour, yeah, when time permits it, when everything gets opened up here. Like I said, I, 
when the tourists come, I um, I want to wait for the right agency and I want to go out there and I want to play like either small headliners or opening up for a decent act or something like that. But I want to have this most exposure. So I like, first of all, to take things like in steps. In other words, doing press like uh, you and then going on and then putting out uh, uh, Eddie Gage and putting out Reloaded and you know, getting a momentum, I think growing a momentum, but then eventually uh, getting a good booking agency, you know, that, that'll come and see me rather than me chasing it around. And if I go to see somebody now, people are just gonna think, oh, this guy's 65 years old, he's fat, he has no hair, he's only written one song, he's a has-been, blah, blah, blah. Is that, you know, it's like people get a mentality of you. So it's kind of hard to, to, to get that out. You have to admit, you have to call a spade a spade at a certain point in your life and just say, well, you know, till this year, otherwise, well, that's, you know, that's what they, you know, that's, they're entitled to their opinion. So I've got to prove them otherwise. You know, I've got to prove uh, the contrary. We have, we have some great clubs and bars up here and, you know, um, theaters for that. So that'd be perfect to see you in those type of environments. And oh, perfect. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Hopefully I don't have to drive to Long Island to see you. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you in New Jersey. Um, my last question for you is, you mentioned it earlier, you got another CD that you're working on that's all instrumental. Tell me a little bit about that and when that you think that's coming out. Uh, that'll, everything's going to be coming out in 2022. I'm trying to just okay. like put everything out as much as possible and then work on tour. You know what I mean? Then just bust my ass on tour. The, the beauty, I did the Novus Dream in 1994. Uh, this was pre, uh, there, there was many, but there was, everything was done on 24 track analog tape. Uh, I had a four track sequencer. I had amazing musicians. The song was written and recorded in three months. It's probably considered my best work. It's called No History. Wow. And uh, it has invented languages, you know, it's like, uh, and uh, the music is very experimental going from classical to jazz to everything. And the beauty of that was that I did not own the masters. And for the two weeks preceding or three weeks, I kept listening to this album. And I guess, go, wow, this is really, I'd love to put this out, but how much will it cost me to buy the masters? Yeah. One day I, I go to the mailbox and I get a letter from the record company. I figure, oh, well, they come to collect, you know, just unrecoup the record I sold. And I found out it only sold worldwide 14,000 units. Mm -hmm. Oh no, it made $14,000 Canadian. Then they sell 14, it made $14,000 Canadian gross <laughs> since 1994. I get this letter and I'm expecting the bill. And the guy says, listen, his name is Bob Schneider. He goes, I, you made the music, you are the music. So I believe you should own the music. So he gave me back my masters at no oh. cost, even though it was $69,000 in the hole. Yeah. So I owned those masters. I mean, it was like, was a gift from God, and it's like unbelievable. So, I mean, that's a really, a, but the record was done with no, no modern day technology. A four track sequencer, a twenty four track tape, and it sounds everything is like all the echoes are by hand. All the sound effects are are tuned by uh, tuning and pitch, and all done by ear. It's, it's amazing. With this, if you hear this record, you'd say it's impossible to recreate even today. So. That's like well, I look forward to hearing for that. And hopefully maybe we could talk when that comes out again. That would be wonderful. Yeah. And I want to put a request in. So when you do play live and you do come to New Jersey, I want to hear bright lights. 
<laughs> you have, have to no problem, I have no problem singing that because if you listen to Fantasy, Fantasy when it was written on the first album was in G minor. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to a Reloader, it's still in G minor. And if you listen to Blood on the Bricks, it's in E flat. And on Reloader, it's in E flat. So I have no problem singing. But one beauty about it, my voice is at 65 and at 25 is better at 65. It's got a more of a more meat to it, I think. Yeah. You know? A lot great. of guys lose their voice. So. Well, that's great. That's good. I'm blessed. So. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. I've been, you know, such a big fan of yours. So thank you very, very much. It was really an honor and a fascinating interview. Thank you. Thank you very much. And hope to see you soon. Yeah, me too. Bye-bye. Bye.